A lot of talk regarding the Orioles this offseason, including a lot of the talk on this podcast, has been about the Orioles going after Dylan Cease in a trade. But been getting a lot of questions. Well, is Dylan Cease really worth it? I mean, he wasn't even that good last year. Well, today let's dive into it. What makes Dylan Cease that good? Get to that and more on a mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles. Your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, January 16th, 2024, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are opening up the mailbag once again. And I've got some questions to get to here on today's episode. They are all from you, the listeners. We will talk about Dylan Cease, what his true value is. We'll talk about what the O's plan B could be in pitching if they don't get Cease. We'll talk about the best stuff in the Orioles minor league system, my favorite moves the O's have made in past off seasons, and more coming up on this mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com and use the code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. That's jasemedical.com. So let's jump into the mailbag here again if you want to have a mailbag question answered on a future mailbag episode in the offseason or once the season starts. You can email us, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com is the email. You can also put those questions right here in the YouTube comment section and make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles podcast on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, once again, as I mentioned, moved last week in the new place. The Orioles stuff hasn't gone up behind me quite yet, so a little bit of a bland background there. You like the the salmon and the the white bookshelf back there? It's it's interior design. I'm 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 killing the game right now. But uh, yeah, soon enough you'll see some more O's gear behind me if you are watching on YouTube. But let's get to the mailbag here because got a lot of questions over the last couple of weeks and uh, brought together the best ones for today's episode and. Let's start in kind of an interesting place here with Dylan Cease, because Dylan Cease is the guy we've been talking about all offseason. He is very clearly being shopped around by the White Sox. Now, had the White Sox asking price been very high? Absolutely, it has. And the Orioles haven't been the only team involved. You've had the Dodgers, you've had the Reds, you've had the Braves, you've had the Yankees and others poking around with the White Sox, trying to make a deal for a guy in Cease who I think has the ceiling to be one of the best starting pitchers in all of baseball and be a number one and the ace of a staff, and I think could be the ace of the Orioles staff. And that is big reason number one why the Orioles want to go get Dylan Cease. But the question, which came in different ways from a couple different people, Steven via YouTube and then Mark via email, asked a very similar version of this question, which basically was, what makes Dylan Cease an elite pitcher and what makes the Orioles, you Orioles fans, want him so much if his numbers weren't even that good in 2023. This is kind of a sentiment I've seen a little bit as we continue to talk about Dylan Cease. Now, that sentiment has come up more, I think, since we found out, okay, how high the White Sox asking price is now. People have said, oh, that's not worth it. I don't want to give up these prospects, and here's why. Let's dive a little deeper into Dylan Cease, because again, if the O's are going to acquire him, even if the White Sox asking price comes down, 
they're still going to have to give something up. There was reporting this week by Bob Nightingale that the White Sox are, at the very least, what they're looking for from the Orioles is one of Colton Kowser or Heston Kerstad in a deal that would get Dylan Cease. Now, to me, I'd kind of been assuming that the entire time. Like, every time I've talked about the Cease trade and what it could look like, I've said, yeah, the Orioles are probably going to have to give up either Kowser or Kerstad in that deal. I've been already prepared for that, but now we got some reporting around what Chicago has been asking Baltimore for in these trade talks. But the question is, first, should the Orioles even be pursuing him this hard? Like, is he this good? And if you just look at his numbers from 2023, I can see how you have questions. Now, he stayed healthy the whole year. He made 33 starts. He threw 177 innings, which in this day and age in baseball is actually much closer to an innings eater than it used to be. But he posted a 4.58 ERA, and that is not great, right? That is, you know, comparable to the ERA that Kyle Gibson posted for the Orioles this year. And Gibson threw 15 more innings than Dylan Cease did. So I understand the questions. Now, he still had a good 27% strikeout rate, a 10% walk rate, which was a little higher than usual, but right around what he's usually done in his entire career. But the stuff behind the ERA was still very good. Still had one of the best whiff rates, swing and miss rates in all of baseball. His slider was still elite. His changeup, while he didn't throw it a lot, had a 53% whiff rate, which is like Felix Bautista territory on swing and miss at a changeup slash a splitter. Hasn't thrown him a lot, mostly throws him to lefties, but maybe something to look at him throwing even more. And here's the good thing about Cease. His number one problem in 2023 where the walks were compiling and his fastball was not the pitch it used to be. His slider's always been his best pitch, but for a while there, the four-seam fastball was clearly his number two pitch in terms of how good it was, and, you know, it was 96-97, and he was commanding it well. His fastball was more averaging down towards 95-96. He lost a, a tiny tick on the fastball, and the command was probably the worst fastball command that Dylan Cease has had in his big league career. I mean, that was, the four-seam fastball was Definitely number one in terms of the issues Cease had in his worst full season in the big leagues in 2023. But the good thing is, if you just look at August and September, final two months of the season, he really honed in that fastball command, the walk rate went down, and his velocity returned in August and September to what it had been in 2020 and 21 and 2022. Usually you see the opposite thing, especially for a guy playing for a team that's going to lose 100 games, that has been terrible, you'll see the velocity dip a little bit. His velo dip was actually earlier in the season, and then he was throwing harder as the season went on, and he got back to his usual velocity by September, and it all came together where Dylan Cease was at his best last September. The fastball command, the velo was better, and he had a 2.83 ERA in the final month of the season. You really like to see a guy on a horrendous team who's having a down year finish strong. I think that's really, really good and says a lot about Dylan Cease. He could have completely just given up on that season. And I still do think not all of the issues, but some of the issues was just how much of an absolute disaster and train wreck the 2023 Chicago White Sox were. Like that certainly did not help Dylan Cease in his performance. And you got to think it actively hurt it a little bit because he was one of the only guys who seemingly had a lot of talent that was left on that team and trying to perform. But you go back to 2022 and here's the funny thing. Like he has back-to-back -back years where in 2022, you could argue he was the best pitcher in baseball. He was one of the best. And in 2023, he threw a lot of innings and struck out guys, but in general, he was just another solid major league starter. If you just flip those two things, right? If you give Dylan Cease's stats from this year into his 2022 column, and the trade talks 
were happening still now, but his 2023 was the one where he threw 184 innings, a career high, and posted a 2.20 ERA and had a 30% strikeout rate. And his slider, literally via StatCast, was, by run value, the best pitch by a starting pitcher in all of Major League Baseball in 2022. That thing was basically unhittable. If he's coming off that year when the trade talks are really heating up, we're having a completely different conversation. It's just about sequencing. And I get that, again, ERA-wise, in terms of full seasons, this was Cease's worst year. So after he had the great year last year, he hadn't had this rough year. But if you just flip him, we're looking at Cease as a guy who, eh, he had a down year, but he bounced back in a big way with his best season. And now all of a sudden, this entire conversation is different. It's just because the most recent season was a little bit down. We say, oh, is he trending in the wrong direction? But all of those peripherals, you know, the fastball velocity coming back up, him getting the command back, the slider still being good, him still having, you know, his curveball still having his change up there. I think he's still pretty much the same pitcher. And again, in 2022, he was unbelievable. He was in the top 10% in all of Major League Baseball in the lowest hard hit rate, in his whiff percentage, in his fastball velocity. And again, I mentioned that slider was literally the best pitch in baseball. He threw it more than any pitch that he offered in 2022. That was ace stuff that he had that year. And in 2021, listen, made 32 starts, had a 3.91 ERA, had a career-high 32% strikeout rate. His walk rate's been the same this entire time. He's pretty much been the same pitcher. He just got a little unlucky this year, and he missed with the fastball command until he found it in those final two months. And if you look at Dylan C since the beginning of 2020, he was in the big leagues with the White Sox and a few starts in 2018, a few more starts in 2019, had very much varying success in those two years. But in the shortened 2020 season was really the first year that Dylan Cease for the whole season was a part of the White Sox starting rotation. Since the beginning of 2020, since Cease took over as an every fifth day kind of guy for Chicago, here are his ranks among qualified starters in all of Major League Baseball. 10th in Fangraphs War, 11th in ERA, 13th in FIP, fielding independent pitching, 5th in strikeout rate, 16th in innings pitched, but first in games started. Dylan Cease has started 109 games since the start of the shortened 2020 season. No one else in baseball has started that many games. So at the very least, four consecutive years at the big league level, throwing that hard and throwing that many sliders, he has stayed pretty much a perfect bill of health in those four years. That is a really, really good thing. And you can say from that, oh, well, he's bound to get injured. You could look at it that way, or you could look at it's really tough to find guys who are both durable and strike guys out at a high rate. You know, there's only a few of those guys out there, like Garrett Cole is one of them, where he eats innings, strikes out a lot of guys, and he stays on the mound. There's not a lot of those guys in baseball. Dylan Cease is one of them. He makes your rotation so, so good. And the best thing you can do as a pitcher, there's really two things that make pitchers super valuable. Number one, stay on the mound. Everybody gets injured when pitching. There is a epidemic of pitcher injuries, elbow injuries, shoulder injuries, everything in between. C stays on the mound. And number two is miss bats. Because if you cause swings and misses and you don't allow the other team to put the ball in play, they can't do any damage to you. The best thing you can do as a pitcher is miss bats. Cease does that at an elite rate and he stays on the mound. That combination makes him a top of the rotation starter. And again, I know 2023 was down, but if you just look at the year before, he was arguably the best pitcher in all of baseball. And here's the thing. 
You don't just get one year of him. You get two years of him. And even if cheap John Angelos isn't willing to extend him after he becomes a free agent after 2025, you only have to pay him $8 million this year. That's what his arbitration number is. And his final year number isn't going to go up any higher than like 13 or 14 million is probably what he'll make in 2025. So you're getting a Dylan Cease potentially at an elite ace level for, I mean, somewhere around two years, $22 million. I mean, that's nothing compared to what pitchers are getting right now. This would be a steal, I think, to get Dylan Cease. And I understand the concerns of last year. I just don't think that's the pitcher he is. I don't know if he's long-term as good as he was in 2022, but he's somewhere in between. He posts every fifth day. He strikes out a lot of guys. He is someone you want at the top of your rotation. And I know the asking price is high right now. It's astronomically high from the White Sox. But as it starts to come down a little, I still think the Orioles should jump at a Dylan Cease trade. We got a bunch more questions, though, to get to here on a mailbag episode. And actually, we're going to stay in kind of the Dylan Cease Orioles trading for pitching universe with the mailbag questions we get to coming up after the break, talking about what the O's are being asked about in trade talks and if they're being treated differently than other teams because their system at this point is so good. And we'll also talk about the Orioles' plan B. What if they don't get Dylan Cease? Where would they go from there? But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Jace Medical. Now, you've heard me talk about Jace Medical on this podcast before, but essentially, Jace Medical is the company that is there for them when you need them. Jace Medical has their product called the Jace Case. And basically with the Jace Case, you can get life-saving medications, have them with you at any time. Jace Case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses. You can just visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It'll be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com and use the offer code Locked On to get $20 off your order. And today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by eBay Motors. Now listen, I'm not the person that knows a lot about cars, but I still do like my car and eBay Motors can help you because with passion, drive, and patience, that's what brings home the winning trophy. And it's also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply, eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. So we're back here on a mailbag episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Thank you so much 
for tuning in. Hopefully uh, the snow is treating you well here in the Baltimore area. We got some more questions to get to here. And we just kind of talked about, you know, the value of Dylan Cease and what it truly is. And if the O's should be strongly pursuing this trade, even if the White Sox asking price is super, super high. And to build off that, wanted to get to our next question, which comes from Adit via YouTube, who asks, and I've seen actually some other people bring this up before other podcasts have talked about it. It's an interesting question to get to. Are teams intentionally asking the Orioles for more in trades because of how good their farm system is? That question from Adit on YouTube. I think that is a very, very good question because listen, MLB Pipeline just put out their poll and they surveyed executives around the league and almost 80% of executives said the Orioles have the number one system in baseball. And it's not only that, all of their talent is kind of pulled at the top of the system. Like the Orioles talent they have in AAA right now is ridiculous. That's shown by the fact that the Norfolk Tides won the AAA championship last year, and a lot of those guys are still at that AAA level knocking on the big league door. It's an incredible amount of talent. So I would say it's possible, right, that teams are looking at the Orioles and saying, well, they have more to give up. Let's ask them. Because if you're, say, asking for, you're setting a Dylan Cease price tag of, we want three of a team's top six prospects. Let's say the White Sox are asking for that. Three of the top six prospects in the red system or in the Yankee system, good minor league systems, are not the same as three of the six top prospects in the Orioles system. Let's say you asked for prospects number one, four, and six. Those players, that group of three, would be better if you made that ask to the Orioles than if you did to the Yankees or the Reds or the Braves or whomever among the other teams interested in Cease. Now, you can't just wheel and deal like that because every player has different value and each player has different value to each team. Like other teams, the White Sox probably have different evaluations on the Orioles prospect than the O's have on their own guys in the minors. And that makes these trade discussions sometimes tough to get a deal through. And again, it takes two to tango, right? You got to get both sides to agree to a deal to make a trade like this. And I understand the thinking of, well, the White Sox just asking for more because they're saying, oh, you know, here's what the Braves have to give up. It's not a lot. We could make this deal with them. But if we make our ask to the Orioles, we can make it so much higher because, you know, the O's have a million top prospects. They don't care if they give up three of them. But the Braves, you know, they've traded away a lot of their top prospects. If we ask for three of them, they're automatically going to say no. Maybe let's only ask for two because the Braves don't, you know, have so many to give away and we can get the talks going there. I can see that being the case. But doesn't that just sound stupid? I understand when teams don't want to trade guys immediately in division. You don't want to give up your prospects to your rivals so they hurt you down the road. I get that. But in general, if you're the White Sox and you might be going into this rebuild and your team is an absolute disaster and you got Chris Getz coming in, taking over as a new GM, this is going to be his first big move as White Sox GM is making this trade. Wouldn't the best thing for the future of your organization be to just get the most talent back that you can in a Dylan Cease trade? So think about it like this. Say, you know, I'm sitting at my desk right here and I'm recording the podcast. Say I'm having a yard sale, you know, I'm moving. I realize we have too much stuff. Got to get some rid of some of it. And I look at this desk and I say, I'm not going to have this desk long term. I'm I'm doing a rebuild. I'm rebuilding a desk. I, I just, this one's a nice desk. Like it is certainly a nice desk, but I'm going to outgrow this desk. I'm not going to be able to bring it back. I just, am, I know I'm going to get rid of it. And I think this desk is worth $100 at this garage sale. So five people come to my garage sale and five of them are interested in the desk and they brought cash. It's cash only. And four of the five, they only brought $90 to this garage sale in total. 
But I know that the fifth guy brought $150. Now, the fifth guy has offered me $95, and he's got a little more to offer. That's the best offer because nobody else is going to give me more than 90 So why would I go to the fifth guy and say, actually, I want all 150 from your wallet? That doesn't make any sense. Number one, if you take the 95 especially if you want to move the desk, and that's the thing, I want to give up this desk now. This desk's value is only going to go down, and I know long-term I don't want this desk, so I might as well sell it now. So if that's my best offer on the table is that $95, why would I ask him for 150 knowing nobody else can beat 95 just because he has the 150 I could offend the guy with 150 and then he's going to walk off. Then I don't sell the desk at all. That is exactly what is happening to the White Sox and what could happen to the White Sox if they operate like that. If they say, ah, you know, those are solid offers from the Braves, solid offers from the Dodgers, solid offers from the Yankees, but we're going to ask the O's for more and more and more. And all of a sudden, Mike Elias and the Orioles just say, this is too much. You're asking way more from us than you're asking from anyone else. And then they turn around and all of a sudden, well, the Dodgers have gone out and signed another pitcher. They're good to go. The Braves have made a different trade. They're good to go. The Reds have said, ah, we're set. The Yankees went and get Stroman. Maybe they add another arm. They're good to go. And all of a sudden, the White Sox are sitting there and saying, well, now we can't trade him until the deadline. And at the deadline, he's got a year and a half of control instead of two. We'll probably get less back for him than we get now. That would just seem stupid. But here's the thing about that question from Adit and why it's a good question. Chris Getz is a first-time GM brought in from the Royals organization, which wasn't exactly doing things at a top level. Maybe he's just not doing a good job at his job. And that could be the case. We'll kind of just have to wait and find out. Again, it's possible that teams are asking the Orioles for more than anyone else, especially the White Sox, but like it just seems dumb and seems like bad business. You're in a rebuild. Don't worry about what the Orioles have. Just get the best deal for you. And the Orioles, because their system's so good, will be able to give you the best deal. Why are you asking for more and more? I just don't get it. Next question comes from Joe on YouTube who asks, who is plan B if the Dylan C's asking price is too high? Something we were just talking about. Well, there's some other names out there on the trade market. Jesus Lazardo of the Marlins could be traded, but Lazardo has three years of control. And although he hasn't yet shown he's definitely better than Dylan C's, he could be. I honestly think that Lazardo price is going to be higher than the C's price because it's three years. Trevor Rogers is another guy who's shown progress and has three years of control, but Trevor Rogers basically missed all of last season with injury. Do the O's want that? I don't think the Brewers are moving Corbin Burns. Shane Bieber's an option, but that velo is so far down, he's not missing bats anymore. He might be cooked. I kind of want to stay away. Edward Cabrera of the Marlins, interesting piece, but he's got five years of team control left. It's going to take a lot to get a pitcher with five years of team control who has shown success. And then the Mariners, they don't seem super willing to trade from their young pitching talent. Instead, they traded away Robbie Ray. And then the Giants have some young guys, but, you know, like Keaton Wynn and Tristan Beck, but they're not super exciting. They don't seem like Orioles types, at least what they've done in the big league. So I honestly think if the Orioles can't make the Dylan Cease trade, it's probably another one-year veteran in free agency. I talked about James Paxton on yesterday's episode. Make sure to check that one out. He'd be an option. Hunjin Ryu would be an option. Alex Wood, Michael Lorenzen. These are all guys who are big league number five starters who would take one-year deals that I think the Orioles could pivot to. That is why also I continue to push and push and push the Dylan Cease trade because I do think if the O's don't get him or if the 
price is just too high and, and the White Sox don't end up trading him at all, there's not another like great option that feels like that good of a fit that the Orioles are going to be willing to go to and, and give away either the money for or the prospects for it to get that's not like a, a number five one-year starter. That's a large gap from Dylan Cease, who'd probably come in as your number two and could be your number one, to have that fall down to Hunjin Ryu, who's like a veteran who's you know got not a high ceiling but a higher floor and is your your number five, you know, thirty six year old lefty who throws eighty nine. Like those are different pitchers. That is why I feel it's it's kind of important at this point for the Orioles to go and get Dylan Cease and make that deal this offseason. But we got three more questions to get to here on a mailbag episode. Somebody asked about my second favorite team in Major League Baseball. Somebody asked about my favorite offseason move in Orioles history. And somebody asked about the stuff in AAA and in the minors. Which O's pitching prospect has the best stuff pitch by pitch? We'll get to that to finish off this mailbag episode coming up in just a second. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by FanDuel. Now, we are through Super Wildcard Weekend. We are into the divisional round. We know who the Ravens will be playing. But as the regular season wrapped up, playoff start, there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. And the app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So we're back here to finish up this mailbag episode. Three more questions to get to. Again, if you want to send in mailbag questions for future mailbag episodes, put them in the YouTube comments right here. Like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Or you can email us, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Email us about anything. It doesn't have to be mailbag questions. You can talk Orioles thoughts on the show. Anything like that, send us an email as well. And I'll give you my thoughts on the O's. We can talk Orioles, whatever you need, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. As I've mentioned, not super on Twitter at the moment. But also wanted to tell you about Locked On's new plan. Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering all of the top sports stories of the day. With the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. So back to the mailbag here. Three more Orioles questions to get to here on the episode, all coming from you, the listeners, and you, the viewers out there. Anthony asks via YouTube. Anthony says, which Orioles prospects in the minors have the best stuff? He was asking about certain pitches that they throw. And really, Anthony, you know, I've watched some of these guys, some in person, some on MILB TV. I've not watched as much of the guys over at Orioles on the Verge, so make sure to check out their podcast for even more minor league talk. But in terms of just, you know, a little bit of the eye test and then using the AAA Stuff Plus number, shout out to Prospects Live who have published AAA Stuff Plus. If you're not familiar, Stuff Plus is a stat that originally was by Eno Saris for Major League Baseball. Basically gives you a number of how good a guy's stuff is. So Stuff Plus on your fastball, it doesn't care about how well you locate it. It cares about how hard you throw it, how much it moves, how hard the pitch is to hit. 
Now, again, doesn't factor in command, so sometimes guys will have really high stuff pluses and they don't have success because they can't throw a strike. But this is just about how good that pitch is. 100 is considered league average on these stats. So just wanted to run through some of the leaders in AAA stuff plus at Norfolk last year for the Baltimore Orioles. In terms of four-seam fastballs, the best one that was thrown at Norfolk last year, and this is why this guy is still on the 40-man roster, is Keegan Aiken, who had a 124 stuff plus, basically means his stuff, his fastball, 24% better than league average. It's kind of a hoppy fastball. It's why he's continued to stick around with the Orioles despite the injuries, despite his incompetence on and off the field at times. He gets swings and misses on that fastball because it has like a deceptive, almost like it rises. It's not amazing velocity, but it's just hard to hit. That's why he's still there. But among the guys who are prospects, Kate Povich with the best. Now, his four-seamer only averages about 92, 93 miles per hour. But at a 111 stuff plus, it's a good pitch and gets some swings and misses as well. In terms of cutters, I'm going to say his name again, Cade Povich at a 112 stuff plus, throws it about 88, gets it in on the hands of right-handers. That's a pitch that I really think could help propel him to the major leagues if he can fine-tune it a little bit more, but we shall see. In terms of sinkers, it was Noah Denoyer who really had a big year in 2022 in the O system, but he got to Norfolk in 2023 and just didn't have it, got injured, got Tommy John surgery, but he does have a good sinker. Hopefully when he comes back, most likely in 2025, he'll have that pitch back. In terms of the best changeups thrown at Norfolk last year, Brian Baker was number one at a 117 stuff plus on his changeup. I've talked about it before with Brian Baker. All he has to do is find that feel on the changeup when it's in the strike zone. It is lethal. But the other one in terms of quote-unquote prospects is Wandison Charles, who the Orioles brought back on a minor league deal this offseason, so he'll be back in Norfolk, and he'll be in big league camp competing for a bullpen spot. But Charles throws 88 to 89. It's a really good changeup to go along with it. And then curveball and slider are the final two. Another name that's in there. Kate Povich is the Stuff Plus leader for curveballs and for sliders among Orioles prospects in AAA Norfolk last year. All of this is to say... Povich has had his struggles since the Orioles traded for him, got him in the Jorge Lopez trade from Minnesota back at the deadline in 2022. The results have been up and down, but the stuff continues to be there. And that is why Kylie McDaniel of ESPN ranked him as a top 100 prospect last year in baseball. The stuff is still there. I still believe in him. We'll see what he can do, but there's still certainly a chance for Cade Povich to be really, really good as a left-hander with good stuff at the big league level for the Orioles. Two more questions to get to. This one from Jackson via YouTube. There'll be a couple of quick ones to finish off the pod. What is your favorite Orioles offseason moment in history? I'm going to give the one in hindsight. The one in hindsight is, of course, the Adam Jones trade. Besides the Frank Robinson deal, the Orioles have probably never made a better trade than the Adam Jones one. If you're not familiar, February 8th of 2008, the Orioles trade Eric Bedard, who had been coming off a really good year with the O's. He had two years of team control left. He was a really good-looking left-handed starter. They trade him to the Mariners, and they get five players. They get Tony Butler, who never made it out of the minors. They get Cam McColio, who pitched a little bit out of the Orioles' bullpen. They get George Sherrill, who became the O's closer and made an all-star game. They get Chris Tillman, who during the Buck Showalter era was probably, kind of sadly, but probably the Orioles' ace when they went to the playoffs three out of five years. And oh yeah, they also got Adam Jones, who had been in the big leagues a little bit with the Mariners, and for some reason they traded him away, and the O's got a cornerstone of the franchise, an Orioles legend, and a multi-time all-star in Adam Jones. Yeah, no better trade than that one. But in terms of how excited I was in the moment, I wasn't really super, you know, aware of big off-season moves at that point in February of 2008. I mean, I knew the trade happened, but I wasn't like in the weeds of the prospects. I got to tell you, in the moment, it's two contracts the Orioles gave out. One 
was bringing back Chris Davis on the extension. I get that it maybe didn't work out super well, but with how good he had been and bringing him back and extending him and giving his money, I was very excited. And I know many of you were too, despite the fact that you may not admit it. And the other one was, and this is going to sound harsh, but think about the headspace when it happened, the Ubaldo Jimenez contract. Like The Orioles gave four years $50 million to a starting pitcher who had had his ups and downs, but who had won a Cy Young, who had been really good in stretches with the Guardians and with the Rockies. And it was just like, wow, the O's are paying for pitching. Did the contract work out? It absolutely did not. But it was exciting when it happened at that point. And the final question comes from Chris on YouTube. Besides the Orioles, who is your second favorite team? In Major League Baseball. Well, I've always been a huge Ichiro fan, but I wasn't really super into the Mariners. I was just really into watching Ichiro play back when he was in his prime with Seattle. Of course, he went to the Yankees, wasn't going to cheer for them. But then when he went to the Marlins, I was intrigued by the Marlins. They had made all those big moves that one offseason when they built the new ballpark with the statue and the fish tank and all that stuff. And the, I liked the uniforms and I just kind of latched on with the Marlins and ended up getting my baseball media career started kind of covering the Marlins. It was at Fish Stripes, which is the Marlins SB Nation page. I was writing there for about a year and a half covering the Marlins when Ichiro was there, when Giancarlo Stanton was there, Christian Yelich, like a team that probably should have made the playoffs at one point, although they did not. And I've just kind of continued to root on the Marlins and was happy to see them get to the postseason this year. So I will say Marlins uh, definitely my number two team uh, with the Orioles firmly in that number one spot. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for sending in your mailbag questions. We'll be back most likely tomorrow for a Wednesday episode. Got to talk about some uh, international signings. The Orioles announcing their international class this week. They have two of the guys ranked in the top 30. They continue to give out more and more money, continue to have better and better international classes. We'll talk about how the past few have uh, started to develop in the system and then talk about the new guys they're bringing in and they are officially this week breaking, well, not breaking ground. They're opening it up. The Orioles Academy in the Dominican Republic, finally ready to go this week. We'll talk about that and how it will change what the O's do in player development. It's coming up tomorrow when I return. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.